G'day, this is Trevor Jackson. When we launched Tomorrow Is Mine during the lockdown in 2020, I didn't know how long the series would last. With so many international students here on the Gold Coast, many of whom were feeling isolated and concerned about the uncertainty of their lives, as we all were at that time, I wanted to create a platform that would give the students an opportunity to share their stories while staying connected within their community, as well as being able to share their experiences with their friends and family in the far-flung corners of the world. By the end of the year, we had 30 episodes in the can and an ever-growing audience right across the globe. What really amazed me was the incredible personal journeys many of these students had undertaken to follow their dreams and the candid honesty in the way they opened up about their lives. Over the Australian summer, while our students have been on holiday, I've been revisiting some of the more remarkable stories they've shared. Stories that are enlightening, heartwarming, and sometimes even heartbreaking, but always life-affirming. Bren Domingo featured on the very first show. I asked Bren to do it, not only because she had an incredible story to share, but because she had gone from being a rebellious teenager to an exemplary leader and mentor to so many, held in high esteem by students and academia alike. When I published that first episode way back in May, one of the Griffith University staff posted, Bren Domingo is an absolute legend. I couldn't agree more. So, without further ado, this is how the journey of this podcast series began. I'm Bren Domingo. I recently just graduated industrial design at Griffith University. I'm also a multimedia designer with at least 14 years background in graphic design. Now tell me what it was like for you growing up in the Philippines. I want to know about your background. Um, growing up in the Philippines, you wouldn't believe that I was that rebellious kid. <laughs> I was the black sheep of the family, to be honest. Uh, whenever I try to tell my friends now of who I was before, I always say that if you've met me before, you probably wouldn't even be talking to me right now. <laughs> yes, that's so true. Yeah, I was the one who rips off books into half because I don't want to carry a lot of books to school. <laughs> and I was the I was that uh, student who would just do anything not to go into school every day. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're a real rebel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was. <laughs> How did yeah. your parents cope with that? Oh my god, my mom just probably always had a heart attack of like, what have you done next? My dad has always been in Saudi Arabia since uh, I was young. I think he left um, when I was one year old to study, uh, to sorry, to work abroad. And uh, yeah, so he's been there until now working as uh, normally an OFW uh, worker. OFW? Yeah, so we call us um, overseas Filipino workers. Oh, okay, yes. right. That's a new term for me. Yeah. So have you not really had any kind of relationship with your dad then, if he's been gone virtually your whole life since you grew up? To be honest, when I was thinking about it, and um, whenever I think about him, for I'm 32 now, and um, for the past 32 years, I think I've only spent two years of my lifetime with him. And that's because his work um, re was required to have a whole year to be in Saudi and um, one month of vacation. And that would have been spent with my mom or cleaning the house. So I think in 32 years, there's only a maximum of 
two years that I really got to spend time with him. Gee, that's extraordinary. Yes. So what, what kind of relationship do you have with him? He's a very responsible father. He, um, to be honest, uh, for some families in the Philippines, it would be amazing to have your family still intact after, after your whole life. And that has been my dad. So he's the very responsible family family man. He's always been our financial um, help with with regards to our family. And yeah, what kind of work does he do in Saudi Arabia? So he's uh, an engineer. He's an electrical engineer. There's just no work for him in the Philippines. There wasn't um, most of uh, during that time, and this is normal for any Filipino family. Um, we go overseas. The men always go overseas, leave their um, wife and their children at home to work there and have a life there, and then yeah, just send back the money. And although there would be there would be work for him, it's not something that would pay as much and as well as if he has left the country. That's extraordinary. So mm-hmm. for 12 months of the year or 11 months of the year, he has to work in Saudi Arabia and then yes. he comes home for a month yes. and that's it. Yeah, sometimes for two years, sometimes the contract for two years. When I was in Brunei, I, I actually experienced the same thing. My contract was to stay in Brunei for two years and have one month um, after that two years to be able to go back to Philippines. But then even during that time when I was uh, doing my work, because I was managing basically two of uh, the branches of the company, I was only allowed to go back for a week after that two years. <laughs> Gee, that's unbelievable. I'll get to Brunei a, a little bit later in your journey. I just want to find out a little bit more about your family life then. So um, how many children were in the, in the family? So I have two uh, siblings. So I have a sibling that's one year younger than me. She's a nurse and she's already in Germany now. So she just left uh, December, the first week of December. She got her job in there. And again, like a typical Filipino, we always go overseas to find work. And my other sister, she's now 18. She's she's still in high school. So your mum has single-handedly raised three girls, pretty much. (laughs) Two of those girls are now living and working overseas and a third one perhaps to follow. What happens to your mum now? Does she does she leave the Philippines and go and live with your dad in Saudi Arabia or, or what? Well, Saudi will never allow. Like it's not it's not ideal for mum to go there. And my mum has always been my guide, so I'll take her. <laughs> that has always been um my wish since the very beginning is to bring her everywhere that I go, especially my sister. My sister has a mild cerebral palsy. Um, this is your 18-year-old sister? This is my 18-year-old sister. And she she can't even hold the pencil that long because it, she would just start shaking. And that's detrimental for where my mom would be. She She has to fetch her from school sometimes. And that has always been what my mom has been doing for the past. Well, it was me before because I was like nowhere to be found. <laughs> Do you think you now that we've we've got this information about you? Did you rebel because there wasn't that authoritarian father figure in in your life? Do you think was that part of it? I don't think so. I think the blame was had always been in me because I was that kid who wants to be part of everything and to be part of a group. I feel that I've I've always wanted to be one of the famous ones, to be honest. 
I've always wanted to be part of the in ones. And honestly, when I came to Australia and when I started Griffith, I realized how stupid I was because of that. <laughs> that's not stupid. That's a that's a childhood dream. That's and many kids would have a, a similar kind of uh, desire or ambition. So no, I don't think so. So your mum single-handedly raised these three girls. Was it tough growing up? What, what kind of life was it like? Which like did you grow up in the city or the country or whereabouts in the Philippines? Were you? So we're in a province, so basically like a country. But it, because it's in the Philippines, there's still a lot of um, households. So it's basically a city far from the central city, which is uh, what the Philippines is. Um, but my mom, I know her heartaches. I know her hardships. For almost all her life, she's always wanted to go to work. Funny thing is, when I ended up in Brunei, it wasn't me that was supposed to to go to Brunei. My mom during that time, so I was that rebellious that I ended up just having to stay home, being grounded for that time. And my mom was like, okay, since you're not doing anything, maybe you can just accompany me to the city, which is Manila, and to go there and help me with navigating where the agency is. She's a fanatic, and she's always wanted to become a domestic helper in Hong Kong. Right. She loves to clean. Like, as much as I do, <laughs> she loves to clean. So my mom's, my mom's heart is that she never got to work. But during that time when we were in Manila try, for her to apply for that job in Hong Kong to, and even in Taiwan, it's preparing these pictures and stuff. And in, in that agency, they asked me, so what do you do? Do you want to apply as a domestic helper as well? So I said, well, I kind of don't want to, but I'm a designer. So do you have any design jobs? And they're like, yeah, maybe you can build our website. And a week later, they said, they're actually hiring in Brunei to have a someone to do vinyl, like cutting for cars. And it's like, are you interested? And my mom's like, yes, she is. <laughs> <laughs> so and how how old were you now? I think I was nineteen or twenty. Yeah. So you had studied industrial design or some sort of design. I studied business. I studied the rebel who didn't want to go to school. Studied uh, didn't business. want to study. Ended up ends up doing business, but wants to be a designer. Well, ended up crazy. doing business for two years. The last semester, I didn't even go to any of that class. Pretended to my family that I was still going to that class. Got kicked out, technically. <laughs> I told you. Honestly, the, this, are like, this is the weirdest things that ever happened to me. This like It's unbelievable sometimes, like knowing what, what I've achieved. It's just, I think for some, it will be so unbelievable. So... Got kicked out by one of the best universities in the Philippines. Got kicked out of the dormitory that I was in as well. So I want to know why you got kicked out <laughs> of the dormitory. No, just because I'm not going to school anymore. My dad's okay. like, I'm not paying for you anymore. I said, all right. You said that you were a designer. So yes. where did you learn design? Well, during that time when I was in uni doing business, uh, most of our presentations are actually digital. That was the age of video editing presentations. And there was like, okay, I'll do the presentations for everyone. Ended up getting all these softwares and ended up 
being good at it. I actually started a business while I was dropping out, being kicked out of that school. And for that six months that I was pretending to be at school, I was doing presentations on a business that I created as a freelance and earned money from there. And your dad was still supporting you until you got kicked out. That's a bit well. <laughs> well, he don't. You were a bad girl. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> So, I've never told this to anyone yet. Well, yeah. now you're just telling the whole world via this podcast. <laughs> That's all. Did you have any kind of, through all those rebellious years when you were younger, was there any kind of inkling that you felt that you had this creative bent, that you wanted to pursue some sort of creative life? Was well, that- since I was young, I've always been an artist. I love painting. My mom would ho- would always, to be honest, I hated that her gift was always paper and pen. But then that's the only thing that she can afford apart from Lego set. So Lego set is only when my dad comes back. But my mom would always give us Christmas gifts of a bunch of paper. And, of course, I'm like, okay, the the excitement is there. But that gave me an option to draw. And I started drawing since I was young. I've done posters for schools, like acrylic and oil pastel paintings for schools. And I was actually a lighting programmer for one of the musicals in my high school, which I kind of like. So effectively a lighting designer. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then I just enjoy it, but I never saw it as a as a career. Because in Philippines, you really wouldn't find someone who's like, I'm an artist, that's my career. Because that just won't pay anything. You'll be laughed at, to be honest. When you say graphic designer, what's that? Is that even going to give you money or a salary which is like to think about it that was just 10 years ago and now it's everywhere needs design like extraordinary yeah Yeah. any kind of any kind of work when i'm doing the library work i'm actually doing social media for them so there's always that transition that you need someone who knows how to design or to present something because whatever you say can just be said but wherever you say you won't stick to that person unless it's seen so I think for me, a designer should be a fundamental person in any team just for the reason of presenting something and conveying what you actually want to convey to everyone. I'm assuming then you went to study business because being a designer or any kind of artist was just not a viable option in the Philippines. Yes. So that was the practical yes. option. Clearly, you weren't enjoying business and you're going off. I'm, I'm just kind of yeah. retrofitting this, but as yeah. I look at your life, the way I see it is that you saw an opportunity to pursue your artistic yeah. desire yeah. Uh, and in doing that, you, you started your own business within a business school. <laughs> That's true. I hated economics because I didn't understand the I idea of... I economics too. It's really boring. Oh, no, I didn't understand the idea, the idea of surplus... When you just don't have money left every time you have salary. In your life, there is no surplus. How do you understand that concept? That's true. Yeah, yeah. And I've always been that person who needs a picture of everything. I always need something that that I would trust to understand why that concept works. And like surplus, just really? (laughs) Abstract concept. So you're a very visual person in the way you you think, the way you process information. So obviously pursuing a career in the arts makes a lot of sense. So you get this job in Brunei, you're 19 years old. How long did you live in Brunei? For about six years. And what was that like? It was good. 
it made me independent. It made me realize that I've been doing a lot of bad things in my life, and but it also made me very responsible. And I think part of that is because of my manager. Because when my manager came a year after me, he gave me an opportunity to actually lead the company. It was actually passed to me because everyone else didn't want to. <laughs> so, And I've always been the person who never says, try not to say no. I always try to create opportunities. So, I, so when the opportunity came, that's like, okay, you have to do this. I'm like, well, okay, I'll do that if that's what's going to make me stay here. And because of that, there had been a practice for me to realize my potential. There had been an opportunity for me to realize the things that I can probably do more than just design. Because in design, there's always that background of you still have to face clients. You still have to produce things in a timely manner. And because of that role, it allowed me to get engaged with some of the biggest companies, to be honest, in Brunei and the government. I had to deal with finishing client portfolios, at least 15 of them in a day. I have to finish some that's due in like 30 minutes. My boss would call me first saying that, can you do this in an hour? If not, I won't accept the job. So it was determined by if I can do it. And I didn't allow myself to say no. And because of that, when I was checking my files, it was way over 15,000 design files that I have in a span of six years. That's incredible. What a workload. So this taught you responsibility, but also the fact that he gave you that responsibility, you saw the value in yourself? That's true. Yeah. And was that the first time? That was yes. kind of like the, yeah, the real formation of you? Yeah, someone actually trusted me after everything. Yeah, someone right. actually trusted me. Okay. So in many ways, it sounds like you're pursuing a dream that you could never have conceptualised growing up in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. But you leave Brunei after six years. Why? So I used to have a partner, which is from Brunei. And I've always seen a life as a marriage kind of life because Family in Philippines is just, it's one of the first priorities ever. And that's true with my family. And I've always seen myself married to someone. Brunei is a Muslim country. And I don't see it as unfortunate. People in Brunei are the most wonderful people I've ever met. But the rules itself doesn't allow me because I'm gay. And when that rule came upon, that book that they created saying that they would behead gays, I was, I never had the idea of anxiety. I've never had the idea of depression. That label wasn't clear to me when I was living in Philippines nor when I was living in Brunei because that label was created in another world that's not my own. And I've always just seen everything as problems, but During that time, going back, I realized that that rule alone, that book alone, gave me so much anxiety that I had to, out of um, being scared of being taken from the street, had to grow my hair, which I've never done since, like, uh, high school. I had to grow back my hair, 
and I never, I didn't like it. I feel, I feel weird, but I had to do that because I thought that someone would just be looking and just gonna drag me and put me in prison and just cut my head off <laughs> because they thought you looked butch or masculine, yes. not not yeah. feminine. Yeah. So. When you first went to Brunei, it was okay? It was acceptable to be gay? Is that right? Or I don't think so, but the rule wasn't that clear. As a Muslim, definitely, being gay is not... I can't say for from their perspective, but I believe, and out of respect to my friends, I think that it's not prohibited as like a spoken word, but the rule is there for you to respect. And I've always tried to respect rules. So for me, even if someone's not like putting up in TV that you're going to do this, you're going to do that, I would still respect that it's there. So knowing that, knowing that it exists for me, would always give me that hindrance to step out of my boundary. Like in Philippines, it's gays are not actually like celebrated until... You're in TV and until you're an entertainment personality. <laughs> Let's backpedal a little bit here. So were you openly gay in the Philippines? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah, I was. I've cut my hair because I, well, I ended up having a girlfriend when I was um, second year high school. And I'm like, yep, okay, well, I'm just going to be gay. Shave my head off. <laughs> ended up in the guidance office. <laughs> and ended up one week with, because my school was a Catholic school, so we had nuns, ended up one week with a nun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, interesting, spending a week with a nun, right? And painting. Really? Yeah. And <laughs> was there any kind of discussion around your sexuality and the fact that I, that wasn't uh, acceptable in this uh, Catholic they didn't school? Made, they didn't make it that me being a tomboy was unacceptable, but they made it in a way that cutting, shaving your head off to show that you are is probably not what they're looking for either. So again, that respect that even if you know, it, that it exists, you won't be penalized. But when you do something, you probably should think about it. So it's tolerated and, mm. and certainly you weren't targeted in any way yes, no. because of your sexuality. So, okay, and then you go to Brunei. And you have a relationship, was this with a, a Muslim girl? No, she wasn't. She's Chinese. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, which is, it should be allowed to, in a way, because ch- she's Buddhist. Yes. Um, so they don't even believe in that. But because you're a local in there, the you rules apply yes. to the locals. So you couldn't have an open relationship with her there? Was it very secretive? We, had, we actually it, had an open relationship until that rule came about and that gave me anxiety. I was the one who was actually stepping back. I was the one who was trying not to hold someone's hand in public. So for me, because I'm not a citizen in there, that scared me. And yes. I thought that, that I would lose my job because of that. And there were... You could and lose I, your head. <laughs> I even got job, bullied yeah. by customers for being gay. After this law was, was passed, after yeah. it was pronounced. I think because of that law, everyone was everyone was like, I have the reason to tell you this now because it's now a law. Mm. So try just tried to scare you off. Right. And I was scared. And you, your girlfriend, she wasn't scared? She was... She wasn't. She's a very, very um, 
how do you say this? She don't think of things like that, but okay. then she didn't also understand where I'm coming from. So you decide that for your own personal safety and your well-being that you can't stay in Brunei any longer. What did you do then? What was your next step? Is that when you came to Australia? Yeah. Um, during that time, I was just thinking of every other place to go. Like, I just can't stay there. Like, I can go back to Philippines. I can go to Australia because I've been here before when I was young for three months and I loved it. I was also thinking of the US or Canada or wherever, honestly, wherever it leads me. I, I just want to get out. But because during that time I already went to Australia, I saw I saw that as, okay, I can try just to apply for a visa in Australia. And I've always been wanting to go back to study because that's my dad's frustrations mm. about me. So I made a decision for about a year thought of it for about a year what the things do I need I have lists of things to bring not to bring things that would probably be a problem for me things like that and it became a bit of a problem because my family was my family was there my mom and my sisters are actually there I brought them there because I thought that I can have a life in Brunei and that decision that they have to go back is always going to be part of it so we actually already rented the house in there for them to live, so it's it's not it wasn't an easy decision. It was it, I had to go through so many discussions with my dad, just to prove to him in a way that this is probably the best thing for me. And I didn't even tell them about my problems of being gay. That wasn't even part of the discussion because if it was. It's not something relevant. So to them, yeah, really. Well, but, but but if you had explained that your personal safety was at, at risk here, surely they would have understood and they some, would have. But sometimes they tell tell someone or even me that it's just all in your mind, <laughs> which can be, to be honest. Well, yeah, it is in your mind. Of course, it is very much in your mind. But the thing is, if you don't feel safe there. If you are personally suffering from uh, mental conditions like anxiety, yeah. real stress, yeah. then you're not going to be able to stay no matter what. Yeah, that's true. But for me, in order to get out, I can't use that reason. But you're also an adult now yes. by this stage, of course. <laughs> well. And you're in an untenable situation as far as you're concerned. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand family is everything and obviously you want to abide by your family. And I love this because this is the rebel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I suddenly learnt responsibility in this country that now says it's not acceptable for someone like you to live there. So you apply to come to Australia and eventually you come. And I think you went to Brisbane first, is that right? So my auntie lives in Brisbane, I think around... I don't know if that's Brisbane, Springfield Lakes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, near enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That'll do. Don't you love the Australian one? <laughs> We're not that big on accuracy. <laughs> She'll well, be yeah. right, mate. Yeah. So uh, so you came to stay with your auntie? Yes. Yes. Um, but then I've, I've already arranged for, for me to move to a homestay house at Parkwood with a lovely family. My mom actually went with me here. For three months, okay. so Good. probably to make sure that <laughs> I'm not gonna drop out. Of the 
Oh, I just thought it was because they, they cared about you and wanted to make sure everything was all yeah, right. No, no, I don't think so. You think it's to make sure that everything's legitimate. Okay. Yes. Yeah, you're not off on some other rebellious escapade. Like, it's actually a school that exists. <laughs> Why did you choose Griffith University? What was it in your mind that brought you here? It was two things, which is industrial design. That's one. It's because I don't want to do a lot of engineering. My dad's an engineer, and he kind of probably expect me to become one, but I know that I can't. I can't do the maths of that. Like, I can if I want to, but I want to have a life. (laughs) (laughs) um, And I've always loved design. And industrial design was that complement. So it was industrial design. And the fact that it's in Gold Coast, when I was here, I lived in Brisbane, and I saw even then how rapid things are in there. I love big cities, but I felt that for me, in order to finish my degree, <laughs> I can't have my school next to a bar or next to a club because that was my life. Dangerous. <laughs> yes, so I tried as much to remove myself from doing things that are rebellious. So I thought Gold Coast would that be, and it is. And it was laid back. It was it was what I wanted. It was, yeah, I love it. I think, uh, you know, coming from the Philippines, which is, you know, thousands of islands, but you've got uh, over 100 million people. You've lived in big cities, yeah. and to come to a place like the Gold Coast, it must seem almost like a ghost town by yes. comparison. We've only got 600,000 <laughs> people here. But I understand now from what you've said that you were looking for that. But now coming to live and study in this environment, how did that feel? Like, what was that like? It was good. But then I think looking for people came back to me. Like, I, the reason why I applied for the ambassador um, program is because of that people. Like, I wanted to be around people. This is the Mayor's Student Ambassador yes. Program. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I wanted to go back to people, get to know the people, because when I started at Griffith, I've met my mentor and she introduced me to become an ambassador for Queensland College of Art. And it's just amazing. Their stories are just amazing. It's just like, my I haven't been living my life. <laughs> oh, no, you have. You've lived <laughs> yeah. an extraordinary life already. If you don't think you've got an amazing story, Bren. Let's just go back to the Mayor's Student Ambassador Program because that's when I first met you mm-hmm. and you came in for an interview And I so clearly remember this, that while you were applying for the program, there were two other students there that you were actively supporting and also trying to get into the program. Yes. Can you explain to me why you were doing that, what your interest was in doing that with these two students? Truth be told, I wasn't supposed to be in the program. (laughs) During that time when I first met Mo and asked about the program, um, I don't think he liked me. (laughs) That's not true. Mo oh, likes yeah. everybody. <laughs> and he, so he gave me the form. He told me about the form, submitted the form. But when I was in the Philippines when they, were st- when they started calling. And when I came back to, to Australia, those two of my friends, um, I told them to apply for it because they, were my best, they are my best friends from industrial design. And I know that they can be good for the program as well. And they told me that, um, did you receive a call? Like, from who? Oh, study Gold Coast about um, interviews. I said, uh, I might have. <laughs> I might have, but can you give me the number, please, so I can call them back because I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Took the phone number. I said, 
Mo answered and I said, oh, I received a call from you, but I was in the Philippines. I couldn't call back. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mo's like, oh, it's probably about the interview for the, I think he's trying to find my name in there because I'm pretty sure there's a short list. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and then I was that like, just trying and said, oh, just rock up in this interview. So I rocked up, <laughs> tried my best, <laughs> tried my best to give up my story. And there you go. I got accepted. <laughs> and your friends, did they get accepted? Jean was yes, accepted, Jean did, but I but think yeah. Divya couldn't get in because she's from, she's from Brisbane. <laughs> well, you have to be living on the Gold Coast, yes. so there you go. <laughs> we kind of neglected that fact, but. Like me, I just try everything. And here you are. So you were surprised you got into the program. And, I was. And now that you did, what did the program do for you? Like, was it a great experience for you? Oh, it was great. To be, um, I think one of the highlights of that uh, are not the events, but the friendship that I got. When we did the Home of the Arts, uh, when we went to Home of the Arts for that program, I'm still in contact with Natalie Lidgerwood. And tomorrow, I'm actually going to Home of the Arts to do some discussions <laughs> about the new Children's Art Centre. So, is that right? Yes. So, ah, so is this part of is it a new development for the cultural precinct there? Yes. Ah. Yeah. So this is Natalie Lidgewood who works for Hotter. Yeah, right. Okay. And they're lovely. Again, that's just out of purely out of an introduction of um, an event that was staged at Hotter that's while true. you're an ambassador. Yeah. So, it's opened up doors for you? It did. It yes. did a lot. I think for everyone who was in that program who utilized it well, mm. it did. And I think that's where my journey really started. Like during my first year, I was just that person who sits at the front of the class and just stays there, go home, do assessments, go back to uni the next day, and that's it. I wasn't worried about anything just to like be that professional because I'm – 29 then <laughs> so like i have to be like you know mature enough <laughs> yeah and i think you probably had something to prove to your parents too right? yes uh but when i started a program i let myself be who i am like what i want to do in like not in a rebellious way but in an actual positive way so i think that was really the first opportunity i got to have in here and do you think the experience that the Mayor Student Ambassador Program and, and just indeed studying at Griffith more broadly, has that shaped you as a person in any way? Did you feel that you'd, you'd kind of grown or like that your outlook on the world or whatever it might be had changed somewhat from that? It did, it did. Um, it highlighted what um, my manager has told me in Brunei, what my manager has um, taught me in Brunei, that... You can't be that bad egg in a group of good eggs. And your life will always be in a uni cycle. There's going to be ups and downs, ups and downs, but you'll get there anyway. And realizing that with the people that I've met in Griffith, honestly, I'm, I feel so lucky that I get to hear their stories and that it was me who heard their stories because it's so humbling that when I'm having problems of my own, I just tell myself, you're not that person. You weren't that person who were, who you were in the phone call with. And these are major issues that they're dealing with. And, like, it's just, it's just amazing. 
I don't know why it was given to me, but yeah. You found your calling. It's interesting because I know you've you've um, volunteered in so many different capacities through the Mayor Student Ambassador Program, through Griffith. Uh, you've mentored other students. Um, you, you're still doing that now, even after you've graduated. <laughs> what is it about that? What is it that compels you to want to do that and to help others? I don't know. I feel like whenever I meet someone and they said that they're having problems, they're like, I can't find a job. I just try to tend to introduce them to the people I know because I can't be selfish to give anyone the opportunities that I had. For me, that's what I believe in now. Like, I can't keep into a one contact <laughs> and then just take advantage of it. I can't do that. Um, even, like, when they're trying to recruit for people and I know this person... Like, just email that. Just tell them my brand. They would know me. They'd probably be bothered about me but or be so annoyed. But I honestly don't really care as long as they get jobs out of it. And to be honest, one of my friends recently just was so thankful to me that I introduced them to that person because she has now five jobs out of it. I'm like, <laughs> yep. There you go. There you go. You were the catalyst for that, you know. Yeah. And you I like it. I like, I like it. I can do that job, clearly. Mm. Anyone can do that job. But yeah. in order for you to be there, you just got to ask. you got to step up. Yes. you got to do that. Yeah. You've helped a lot of people here, but you've also met the love of your life here. You and your partner, Justine, recently became engaged. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Tell me about the circumstances of your engagement. How did that unfold? Um, How did you propose to her is what I'm asking you. <laughs> to be honest, uh, when you, if you ask Justine, she's like, she's always think that we've been married since last, like since we've met. And I think that's because of how she is with her family as well. Her nan and her pop has been together for ages, and they're lovers. Mm. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for that. Um, so if you talk to Justine, it's like it's just a formality because even for like six months before I asked her, she's already been asking me, "When are you gonna give me the ring?" Like when we're at her house, and she's like. I'm only going to do this, but I don't have a ring yet. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, God. And so I said to myself, I still have problems because of because I couldn't support myself financially to finish my degree. And for me, that was a hindrance. And I didn't want her to be in that same situation that I proposed to you and then I have to leave. So I was in that dilemma. But during that time when... I knew that I was going to graduate. I said, well, it's about time. I actually asked and designed for a ring to be 3D printed. But a week before that, and the file was already sent to Griffith. A week before that, we went to this store, to shops, and she's like, oh, I like that ring. If you're going to propose to me, it has to be that ring or else just don't. I <laughs> know. Oh, and you'd already designed one for her. Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> that's fine. Oh, Still. you must have been crushed. No. <laughs> it's just funny how we are. It's just like when I tell this to everyone, it's like, really? And then, well, you'll see your ring. And it was nice. It's a moon in the stars. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so she's... It's like the Turkish flag, actually. <laughs> <laughs> she loves it. She's, uh, she's my moon and star. And then I have friends at Queensland College of Art, QCA, and I said... 
I just blurted it out to them one lunch that we're meeting. What's the plan for the grad show? And then I told them, I want to propose to Justine. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to do this. There's, they started doing everything. They're like, this is what we're going to do. And then she, um, Alejandra, who's the QC um, director in there for Liveworm, she's like, Brent, send me an email. It's like, Brent, I've already got approval from the head of school. <laughs> so you come back out. <laughs> and this is what's the program going to be. Dan, Claudio will introduce you. You're going to have this and that. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> they love us. They love They love her. I love her. Then 300 people later. <laughs> <laughs> so there's 300 people at this event and you yes. proposed to Justine. Yes. And was she shocked or? She was shocked because I think she realized, because I was like, in a way I knew that I'm going to get an award mm. as an ambassador for QCA. In my heart, they should have given me one, but <laughs> so thank you for giving me one. And I keep telling Justine, oh, they're going to give me an award. So you have to video me. So she was just videoing me. And <laughs> suddenly the head of school is like, come on, Brent, just do it now. <laughs> In front so of her. So like you just accepted the award. Like, What's happening? You've just accepted the award. And yeah. now you're proposing to her. Yeah. And she's videoing it. Did she drop drop her phone? Or Almost. She... <laughs> oh, she's like, oh, my God. That's amazing. And that that's the only time she realized where, why her whole family was there. I think they, they said that they were supporting me because I have an award. So I have, I'm graduating, yeah. which is, yeah. <laughs> that's lovely. It's really beautiful. What a wonderful memory. What a great proposal. So now that you are financially stable, you've got work now since you've graduated and you've proposed to the love of your life, you're here. I'm curious about what you think the future holds for you. Do you want to stay on the Gold Coast or do you have artistic plans? What do you see your future being? See, that was the same question I have during graduation. To be honest with you, when graduation came, I didn't know how what to feel, like, should I be happy? I was a speaker, just like everything that I've always wanted. But I felt so normal, which is for me, I feel like that's good because it means that everything that you've done for so long, for that two years, doesn't have to be extravagant. It's just normal for you. It's just normal for you to be part of a bigger community. And I think for me realizing that that if I stop now just doing work for three months just to save up and the next day there's something grand, it's just normal. It's just going to be what life is. And I was questioning myself, what do I want to be? Like even until now, like even just last, last, last week, I was like, do I want to be industrial design? Do I want to create another this of that portfolio but then I realized that wasn't what happened for the past two years. That that wasn't the reason why things happened for you. It's because you just put yourself out there. You just never said no, like to this podcast. <laughs> and it just went from there. So I think for everyone who's planning so hard what to do next with graduation, just don't. Because you limit yourself to a vision, you limit yourself to what you want to be, what you can be. 
when you can be everything else like I did. Because I'm more than just a designer. Everyone should just be more than what they are. They should just be more than just an engineer or whatever it is, a social worker. You should be more than just that. You can be a mentor. You can be an ambassador at the same time. You can, you can work at the library like I do. And you can still work as one of the project management officers for a very big project, for a building. <laughs> Or with no experience of doing with that. no experience of doing that, and you can still be a social media manager. I, I keep trying to leave jobs, but they try to adjust to me if I'm free, which feels so good. It's because I've done my work. It's because no one else can probably do that. It's because I've given them something that they can probably find with five people, and I'm still working as an industrial designer to do some renderings uh, sometimes for engineering here in Gold Coast. And I've never left those jobs. I don't want to leave those jobs. Like whenever there's an opportunity, just call me. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. It doesn't have to be the very next day. It can wait, it can be three months. But as long as you continue that connection with them, that's probably the biggest thing. So you've had opportunities here and certainly you want to season those opportunities and you've had some remarkable ones but do you feel does this feel like home do you feel accepted here do you feel oh, that yes yeah oh yes I do like the moment is even when when I was young probably one of the reasons why I went back to Australia is because of that acceptance when I was here when I was eight, 17 or 18 no one was looking at me <laughs> it was normal it was. It wasn't like, oh, she's a lesbian. She's a tomboy. She's she's weird. She's different. She's no one was looking at me like that. It was just like, oh, okay, you're a normal person with different color. Doesn't even felt that way, which is good. And that, to be honest, as what everyone believes in, like, and I respect the LGBTQ community, but for me, what I what I wanted always had been that normality that I'm just part of the group and that's it. Just trying to make good thing out of my own, but I just want to be seen as like other people. That's it. I don't want to have a title or a label. I just want to be well, that human. You I don't guess. want to be a superstar anymore? Well... <laughs> <laughs> I think after you, this podcast and everyone knowing about my past, they'll be like, what? Brand, you've changed. But isn't that it? Isn't that part of the journey, the fact that you do continue to grow, you, you evolve, that all those different experiences that, that come into your life, the different people you meet, that it all shapes who you are. That's and true. your view of the world and indeed yourself changes That's within true. that. Yeah. That's true. Don't neglect the fact that... People are kind still. Don't judge. Just don't judge. The moment that you judge, it stops you from knowing that person. And you might not know it, but that person can probably change your life. So just go on. Talk to someone as much as... Even if it, it's that hard to even pick up a phone call to talk about something, just go for it. Honestly, like... I never stopped looking, even for jobs. I never stopped 
even today, I have like probably 15 applications. Well, that's going to reject me half of it, but probably not even approve any of it. But it's that, I don't know, it's that option that you, you might have at the end of the day that you've tried will make you feel fulfilled. What a remarkable journey it's been for Brenda Mingo. And it's only just begun, as has this podcast series. If you enjoyed Brent's story, make sure you subscribe to Tomorrow Is Mine and please give it a rating through your preferred podcast platform. You'll find more details about this podcast at studygoldcoast.org.au. My name is Trevor Jackson and I look forward to you joining me again next time for Tomorrow Is Mine.